everyone. I'm Manya. And I'm Natasha. And this is Avogadis Avocados. And our topic for today is should prosecutions be in the public interest? Yeah, but today we have a really exciting surprise for you guys. Mm-hmm. We are actually joined by a guest star, Jacob Dean. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jacob. How are you today? Hi, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, so I think it's a bit of an interesting situation here because Jacob, he is actually a law student, a third-year law student in University of Nottingham, and he also used to work for the Crown Prosecution Service. Yep. However, I think you are here today to discuss like some of the shortfalls. So what exactly like made you think that you needed to like talk about these things like do you have any stories of like things you've witnessed that have made you like think like yes this is an issue that I want to discuss well I think there's um there's a lot of different things really but I think like the main one um that's maybe interested in kind of the whole public interest aspect of uh, prosecutions is what's been happening over the pandemic most recently because I think that's where the criminal justice system in I mean not just in the UK but in, in in the world really um, like uh, uh, you know, various different countries have really seen uh, new kind of unprecedented challenges, right? And um, yeah, and, and one um, one particular issue with that that I've been writing about in my uh, third year project is uh, the fines that were given out during the pandemic for breaches of lockdown rules. Mm-hmm. And um, there was there's been a kind of whole debate over here about how many of those were actually justified and whether it was actually in the public interest to go ahead with those uh, those prosecutions um yeah but yeah that's um that, that's the main uh, main issue really uh, do you think like public interest especially when it comes to the pandemic do you think like the public uh the public's opinion on what is best for them during the pandemic really matters more i guess the, pub- the public's opinion should be taken into into account to an extent however um the way that we think about the the concept of the public interest in um, uh, England and Wales is kind of based around the Crown Prosecution Services uh, code for Crown Prosecutors. So the the second stage of the um, of the what's called the full code test is uh, is known as the the public interest test, which is not so much thinking about the opinions of the public, but more about whether a prosecution would benefit the public. Right. Um, yeah, and, and um, when we were preparing for this uh, podcast, I just um, did a little bit of research, found some examples of um, yeah, where um, a, a prosecution was either found or not to be to be found to be in the public interest. So there'll be various cases like where a defendant is seriously uh, ill, or mm. where they've taken part in a, a mercy killing of, of someone who's suffering from a terminal disease, right. or um, if the defendant is very young where the CPS might decide that it's actually not in the public interest to um, to prosecute. Uh, not so much because the public might not agree with it, but rather because um, it, it would not be a good use of, of resources to spend prosecuting this um, uh, person in, in that case. So probably the public would have said that, like, for example, you mentioned like mercy killings. Mm-hmm. So you think like maybe the public and mercy killings would probably convict the person if not for the Crown prosecutors saying that um, they shouldn't be charged? Yeah, in some in some cases, I think they would definitely be convicted. Although with um, jury decisions, on, or uh, obviously there's always uncertainty about what a jury might decide because it's 12 random people. Um, 
in England and Wales and the rest of the UK. Uh, we can't select jurors like they do in America, for instance. Um, so it, it is a truly random selection. So you have no idea what their views on mercy killings might be. Um, so yeah, you, you as a defendant will be in a very uncertain position if you're charged then end up in a crown court in front of a jury. You mentioned like resources. So like I've heard obviously in CPS, like the resources are very like um, very limited. So in the jury, they don't get paid, right? They don't get paid to be jurors. So do you think that kind of affects the type of people and they could have prejudice against a certain type of defendant? Yeah, yeah. So um, with with jurism, uh, as you said, they're not um, they're not paid. So uh, and you you're actually uh, required to be a juror if you're if you receive a, um, a jury summons. Um, and you can be prosecuted for not uh, turning up to court if, you, um, if you're required to do it. So um, really what you end up getting is a kind of random selection of people with all different prejudices um, or lack of prejudices, I guess. And the idea is that because it's a random selection, it's meant uh, the, the prejudices of individual people are meant to kind of cancel each other out. So hopefully you'll get a fair decision from the jury. Although, of course, because it's random, you might end up getting a bunch of jurors with all very similar prejudices and then you can get an unfair conviction resulting from that. So it's really just a kind of like luck of the draw type, um, type system really. No, yeah, because we really wanted to bring this up since me and Manya, like we went to court and we obviously a lot of people know Singapore yeah, yeah. doesn't have a jury. Exactly. And I think, you know, uh, especially like we have we have researched a lot of points that say, you know, the jury could be biased and etc. I think, Manya, you were... You yeah, know. yeah, there was like, I think this like issue of like a biased jury is usually seen in like America, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like I know that um, when laws on abortion were passed, like most of like the jury consisted of like white men. Yeah. Yeah, so these people don't really like understand or like bear the burden of like the consequences of the laws uh, in England, for um, juries are actually required to. You're actually required to serve on a on a jury if you get um, randomly uh, called up, basically. So mm-hmm. you you don't volunteer, and um, and and because of that, you basically you end up getting what is meant to be a kind of representative sample of the local area where a trial is taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people who volunteer to uh, judge cases are actually um, uh, magistrates. So oh. basically they deal with the less serious uh, criminal offences um, yeah. in the in the magistrates' courts, whereas uh, juries are just restricted to the Crown Courts. Crown Courts are for more serious cases, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. And do you feel like this like random picking, do you think it does like more harm than it does good? Like, do you think it's actually like effective doing this whole random thing or do you think that it still like has some like biasness towards like one side mm-hmm. something like that like from what you've seen maybe a few cases that you'd like to talk about like we'd love to hear what you think yeah so um there's i mean there's there's quite a few cases i could i, I could talk about um but mm-hmm. i think i think just broadly o- overall um I am more com- I'm more comfortable with the system that we have in the UK, where it's completely random, as opposed to uh, the system in you mentioned in America, where mm-hmm. um, juries can be quite unrepresentative because basically the, the the lawyers for each side can select jurors based on uh, what they find out about their individual prejudices. Yeah, 
And yeah. so if you have lawyers who are acting in bad faith, for example, I, I know there's been cases in America of lawyers who have, you know, uh, selected out um, uh, black and other ethnic minority jurors um, in order to try and get a favorable uh, outcome um, in, in a case where there's racism involved. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and comparing that to the system we have in the UK where it's completely random, although it's definitely more uncertain over here. Oh yeah, like the OJ Simpson yeah. case, right? Where most of the members of the jury were black women. Yeah. So I guess uh, it would make sense how it's better to have more of a random pink uh, picking like in England and UK but do you think there could still be like uh, any sort of possibility possibility of bias excluding like maybe their income or anything like that yeah oh definitely there's um there's always the uh, possibility of um of, of bias for example if, if you have um if, if the jury selection like happens to have for example a disproportionately uh, male jury or you know, or a, a disproportionately white jury or, or middle class jury then obviously you can have certain biases there that might negatively impact the chances of a not guilty conviction for a particular defendant. However, I think usually on, on the whole, juries do seem to be more or less representative. Yeah, of, yeah. Um, like I, I'd presuppose that they'd value equality a bit more. So it's quite like rare to find these cases. But yeah, yeah. in Singapore, at least there are cases where uh, the public prosecutor, since he has two roles, you know, the chief advisor of the government, as well as being the uh, person that kind of decides who gets charged. It's very hard to know whether a case is uh, following the government's agenda or really looking into the public interest. Right. So despite these biasness, I guess in a way to reduce it, like Jacob has said, random picking, mm -hmm. I guess, do you think it would be more fair in a way? So I, I, I think um, so what you just said about the public prosecutor having two roles, so a political role and a legal one, I think um, so in in, um, in in England and Wales, the um, director of public prosecutions who heads the, the CPS uh, is a non-political role. However, there's always the possibility of political influence and, and in particular the government having indirect influence on what the CPS does based on things like budget cuts and um, trying to restrict the resources that the CPS has, which is a like, very big issue uh, that the CPS has been facing over the past few decades. That's really something that both our countries have like, in common. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of like people that are Singaporeans fear that, you know, maybe the government has had like something to play in some of these legal cases mm -hmm. that like the public are just unknown to. So it's definitely like a general fear. And mm -hmm. maybe like the trust in the government may also be a bit more restored by having like these people from the public actually there like putting in their opinions. Yeah, I guess it's also because mm -hmm. of the lack of transparency, you know, in Singapore, because, you know, a lot of people can't go for certain hearings. So, oh, yes. Yeah. So I guess a jury in our case would be promoting more transparency between the totally. public and the government. Yeah. Oh, wait, uh, Jacob, you did mention I did uh, other research about CPS and I've heard for the jury there's something known as like jury nullification. Oh yes, yeah, that's um that's definitely a very relevant issue at the moment, uh, particularly um, with what happened recently with the um the Colston case. So there was um in Bristol uh, in England there was a statue of a um a slave trader that was toppled by Black Lives Matter protests, right. uh, protesters, 
and um, several of those uh, protesters were um, charged with criminal damage. However, they were all uh, found not guilty by the jury. And one of the issues that was kind of raised in the, in, in the news after that verdict was should jurors be allowed to return not guilty verdicts based on their own personal political beliefs and right. um, yeah and, and i think that that's a that's an issue that's been um an important one for uh, for quite a while I, re I remember there was um there was quite an old uh, uh, it, it was bushel's case um from the 1600s which is um basically the first case where we see um the the courts establishing the principle that juries are allowed to find someone not guilty even if they clearly are guilty of the offense okay. and that they can't be punished for that so even beyond a reasonable doubt, like one person can say, you know, I think he's not guilty yeah. and change the verdict. Yeah, yeah. Although if, if it's just one person, then um, judges can direct uh, juries to accept a, a majority. So um, if, if, if 10, if say 11 of the jurors uh, find them guilty, but one thinks they're not guilty, then it, it will still be a guilty verdict. But um, it, it, it's when you get several jurors that, that believe that they're not uh, guilty, then um then then the verdict will be returned as not guilty right um, yeah so it's it's all about kind of you know what goes on in the jury deliberation room and um you know what the influences of like the more kind of confident jurors and how the how they can influence people and yeah there's just loads of things and um, that kind of play into what verdicts end up getting uh, getting returned at the end right right i think that's one of the issues that has really like form this decision of not having a jury in Singapore, yeah, I feel, because I think one of our political leaders, Lee Kuan Yew, he actually said something about how, you know, maybe the people who are more well-versed well in law would be able to make better decisions than, like, maybe some random people off the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, like, so that's why like a lot of this decision making is entrusted in people who actually like have knowledge in the law because they feel like public might not basically know what they want. Yeah, I mean, it is a fair argument because people don't who don't understand the law tend to not um, make decisions that could be for the good of their public. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like Jacob, I think Jacob also mentioned like they do it based on their own prejudice, based on their own belief. Yeah. So maybe their own belief may not fairly represent what is everyone's belief. I think one of the like examples that you just brought up, Jacob, like it involved like a little bit of violence, like vandalism, right? Mm -hmm. And although like it was done with an underlying good cause, like do we still want these people like out and about roaming in public? Like what if they take that courage that they already have and like put it to something that is not so good? Oh, something kind of like if you break the law in a way you would just continue doing offenses that could escalate and escalate yeah i feel like you're desensitized to it like after you do it for something that is like maybe for a good cause like maybe supporting the black lives matter movement mm -hmm. like you still did like tear down an entire statue i mean <laughs> so i guess like going against the law is not really the best way to combat against the injustices you see yeah like it can be a bit aggressive at times and like you are like letting these quote-unquote aggressive people free mm -hmm. that are like totally capable of doing such like huge things uh -huh. so yeah jacob using you would agree with that type of reasoning where they shouldn't break the law in the first place if they want to preach something 
like more of like a last ditch type of thing right yeah yes yeah i mean i i understand why the protesters did what they did i mean i'm not sure whether it was the best way to kind of support the the, the blm movement um uh but regardless of you know whether whether what they did was good or bad um the the reason why we have um so, so you, the the concern that you raised about you know them potentially committing more offenses and and, and things like that i think yeah. is it's it's a valid one um and i think the reason why we still have the kind of jury nullification um power i guess in in, in england is even if there is a risk of people you know going on and committing more offenses if they get found gu not guilty um then it's still it's still worth it to have that power because it just in case you know people get might get prosecuted for political reasons or mm -hmm. you know if if there's some you know foul play by the police or the cps mm -hmm. um yeah um so it, it's all about that kind of having that check and balance on the um on, on the system yeah no like that's like very debatable like yeah. this goes like to morals and ethics and like civil disobedience and stuff so that is true yeah but i guess jury notification although it can be used for good in some cases it can be abused in other cases right like in a way yeah yeah so there's there's definitely cases where it could be um abused for example i'm aware of um uh, older cases from uh, america where um during uh during slavery where uh juries would refuse to convict um uh, slave owners who who had committed um crimes against uh against black people who mm. yeah and um or who'd done um, you know or, or had been involved in um uh, lynchings for example um and you know those people essentially got away with it because um the jurors were white and they had and uh, and they were racist and they had biases that allowed them to um uh, to return those uh those verdicts and so um i think there is definitely room for um for that power to be abused yeah so it is definitely um i guess questionable as to how far we should um allow juries to uh to exercise it right no i feel like the the most ideal way to have a jury is definitely through random selection if it's anything otherwise then it's kind of just like a facade of justice mm -hmm. yeah i feel like that's like the most ideal way that like the legal system could have a fair trial for everyone at the same time exactly. looking to the public interest yeah also yeah um jacob we wanted to bring up because public interests obviously um can clash with victim interests oh yes especially in singapore we have seen i mean we've not seen because public interest is barely like integrated yeah into singapore right. <laughs> anyway but when we watch like court uh cases i think we did research that cases where the victim like um it's like an assault case or mm -hmm. something regarding their husband or somebody close to them oh yes we did watch that case so we basically were at the supreme court and basically um some woman's husband was there because he had assaulted her however we realized that they were still getting married <laughs> after yeah. his trial oh. so we were kind of like oh <laughs> it's, it's right because like um in that scenario like even the prosecutor was the judge sorry the judge even was kind of he allowed she allowed for it but in that type of case she's she i think she wanted to drop charges on him yeah i mean like any like I feel like the public would probably press for 
restraining order. <laughs> yeah, because in that scenario, do you think like, uh, do you have any cases where like the CPS kind of like ignored public interest to look at victims' interests? Right. Where there is where there's evidence that someone's committed a like a very serious offense. So, for example, like a serious case of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, the CPS often, or, or like sexual assault or something like that, uh, the CPS often will um, go ahead and, and prosecute the person, even if the uh, complainant doesn't want to give evidence. Um, and because, of course, they understand that very often victims can be intimidated by the, the people who fences against them. Um, yeah. They can have all sorts of reasons for not wanted, uh, wanting to give evidence. And so sometimes um, it, it, it will be the best thing for the for the CPS just to go ahead with it and, and prosecute them. Um, yeah, and, and I think that kind of, that's more kind of a modern approach and it kind of conflicts with the traditional idea in, in England of, of the courts as a kind of, ad, uh, as like an adversarial system where it's mm. it's just the interests of the, the victim and what the victim wants versus uh, the defendant. And um, because historically, if, if a victim had refused to give evidence, then that would have been the end of the case. But yeah. I guess there's a more kind of modern idea that's come uh, come into being recently with the CPS as kind of this um, this entity for like the public good, and that you know they should still go ahead with prosecutions even if it's not what the victim wants, um, which can I guess be kind of it can be a good thing in some cases, but right. in other cases, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's like really interesting. Like we also, we love all the perspectives that you're sharing, Jacob. And we also mm -hmm. wanted to see what our followers thought mm -hmm. of this issue. So what we did was that we um, posted a story on Instagram and we basically like asked people like, should like trials consider the public's opinion? And we got like a 40% yes to 60% no ratio. Yeah, I was actually kind okay. of... That. yeah right but anyway like we we did get a few like dms like explaining like their choice so we narrowed it down to three and i think like mm -hmm. we can just give like our opinions based of like what these people say yeah okay so the first response was by lewis he also responded last time yeah he said yes public opinion must be taken into consideration it is to prevent unjust sentencing, for example, the NUS Peeping Tom case, where the perpetrator was only given warnings or probation for his crimes. Mm -hmm. If not for the public outcry, future offenders would continue to receive the same punishment. And would you, as a member of the community, feel safe you ever end up in a similar situation as the victim? Yeah, I think that this is like quite a common thing that the public have an mm -hmm. issue with in terms of the Singapore legal system, which is that they quote-unquote underpunish people who like do acts of sexual harassment actually yeah it's very prevalent i think throughout our whole years and being second in in singapore we've seen a lot of like sexual assault cases kind of been thrown under the bridge not really like looked at much yeah yeah i think especially when it comes to uh especially this peeping tom case it was actually very famous about it really was yeah, yeah i heard it all around school and this wasn't the only case there was uh the one a few girl, others yeah. yeah there was a girl who uh, somebody filmed her the showers yeah she yeah yeah at nus so this seems to be like a recurring topic in singapore that like even though obviously there's huge public outcry and things did change probably if like you look at other sexual harassment cases at a lower scale because you know mothership 
yeah. they post a lot of sexual harassment cases that not a lot of people like obviously they will get hyped up but by those cases yeah yeah and like you know it, it begs the question like if the public were actually able to give their opinions on this case would the perpetrator be more fairly punished mm. what do you think jacob yeah i think um i think if we had if we allow the public to have more say over what kind of punishment people get then um i i, I think people definitely would be receiving you know much harsher um punishments because if you look at the, the kind of crimes that the public really reacts like really negatively to um so mainly things like uh, sexual crimes and um, particularly uh, crimes involving children um yeah. and you you look at the kind of sentences that the public would want that person to get which is usually usually life in prison if not the death penalty which we we don't have in um, uh, england anymore although some people would definitely like it back um, but it, it, yeah, we still have it. Yeah, but it, it, if you compare the kind of sentences that people, that the general public would want defendants to get for those crimes and the, and the sentences that they are actually getting for those kind of crimes. Um, so, for example, um, there's someone um, I, I know who um, has a, a, a university who has a friend back home. Um, well, not, not a friend anymore, but um, someone that he kind of, that he knew. Uh, from school who was um, recently sentenced for committing um, essentially looking at indecent images of, of children uh, on online so a pretty serious um, sexual yeah. offence and um, the sentence that he got was a suspended sentence so it was um, essentially he, he didn't end up going to prison um, and yeah and um, I think if the general public had had their say um, as to what kind of sentence he would get, then it would definitely be much harsher than a, a suspended uh, sentence. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. We also got a second response from Shreya, who said, no, jurors aren't educated on the law, so they cannot make a sound decision on how on who is guilty and who is not guilty. I mean, mm. I guess um, that brings up the point, you know, since jurors are not educated and like they're volunteering, maybe they won't know what's the uh, in the best interest of the public and just use their own moral compass to decide what should happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it has to be very subjective. You are being asked to do a very subjective task. Like, it's going to be hard not to let your personal biases, like, come in between that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, yeah, that's pretty valid. Yeah, I, I understand the, um, the concern, particularly from, um, you know, particularly from people with uh, from jurisdictions outside of uh, England and Wales, where um, and, and and the US, where it seems like um, the the whole kind of jury thing is quite um, quite a unique uh, thing to the kind of to the Anglosphere. Because um, yeah. I, I remember one um, one case where I was um, I was at the uh, the Old Bailey, which is like the big. But for those who don't know, it's like the the big court in. Um, central London where all of the really serious crimes get um, oh. get tried and um, there was a um, a police officer from uh, Germany who was um, visiting there on some some kind of um, exchange program thing with the, with the police and I remember uh, talking to her and um, and she was saying to me uh, look, I, I just don't understand how can how can a jury um, you know how can a jury be expected to make complicated decisions about the law when they don't even right you know, understand it yeah and um yeah so it's just really interesting when you when, when i see the opinions of, of people from you know systems where you know the, they don't have juries and it's just 
really interesting to get those kind of um those uh criticisms right okay okay yeah but we also like felt that way like we had zero background in law when we started like watching court cases and we remember sitting there and like being confused about all the terms that they would use yeah. and like <laughs> what was going on and all these things so yeah like it, it would be like a pretty relevant concern like if people with like no legal background are coming up here and like you know making these huge decisions mm-hmm. that will like go down in history like so before jurors um return their verdicts the um the i i guess the training that they they get essentially is the legal directions that they get from the judge on the as to whatever the the law is of the um the the case that they're trying um now how much of that the jury is actually taken and understand we don't know um judges generally tend to be quite like straightforward and they explain it in quite simple language so you hope most people would understand but yeah um it's it's not really clear as to how effective that is yeah like when we were sitting there like in like the supreme court and watching trials like we we could really see that this wasn't for like an average person to understand i feel like they sort of don't have you don't really need to put your things like simply because you don't have like some average person to like explain it to everybody who is listening to the information in the trial is very well versed on like legal terms and stuff like that and i think that's really like reflective of like singapore's mindset towards having like a jury or like outsiders coming in Mm -hmm. and like giving their opinion on these cases i mean that was the whole point why lee kuan yu abolished having like a jury to be in the first place yeah but i don't know if the cps i uh so i'm not sure if you think that the cps does have adequate training even in the u.s it's very like foggy to know if jurors have adequate training beforehand or not yeah because they kind of like leave it in the dark a little yeah but another thing that i noticed about like maybe us and uk trials is that they really like stand there and they put their arguments out and they like describe the situation and they portray the scene in a certain way and none of these like things happen like they don't paint out this like imagery of like things going on like it's very practical it's very factual singapore is like very like procedural like you you have to know the case beforehand yeah exactly and everybody yeah everybody sitting there is expected to know the case beforehand before walking in so Mm -hmm. i feel like it would be very difficult for like singapore to adapt to a system to like explaining to average people what is happening in each trial that's true that's true so uh the i think there was one more comment uh by mark so he said no the picking of jurors is biased i think we brought that up as well how yeah, we already, yeah jury is very uh, biased yeah then i feel like it just has to do with like the way you put together the jury mm-hmm. it needs to be in a very like fair way mm-hmm. to ensure that these biases don't come through as strongly i guess a way to be able to reflect or uh kind of like jury that has demographics that reflect singapore's population as well so it's like yeah. a fair representation yeah no so um jacob would you like to give any like final thoughts on like this issue yeah so i guess um the main thing i've kind of taken away from this um discussion is that i think the best way for the criminal justice system to improve and make decisions that are more within the public interest are to kind of 
definitely consider the, the public's views and, and, and think about what would you know be in the best interest of the public but also to kind of keep in mind like practical constraints and kind of legal principles that help kind of guide what what we should be doing um and also um i think we should definitely be taking uh inspiration from uh other jurisdictions like around the world because i definitely think that um the uk has a lot a lot to learn from other countries and the way that they do things yeah and so does singapore <laughs> that was very beautifully said jacob yeah so i think that's like all the time we have for today oh yeah yeah so thank you so much for coming on jacob we really appreciate yeah. like your knowledge like we feel so informed right now <laughs> yeah we love like having all like your new insights and everyone who also yeah no like having like the perspective of a law student it's very very insightful mm -hmm. so thank you so much for coming on mm -hmm. so follow us on instagram and you can also email us Mm -hmm. and we'll see you next time all right bye-bye